Professor Jacobson, welcome to Point of View. It's great to have you with us. This critical race theory conversation is such a hot topic. Um, and I'm going to be blown with you. Like, I, I hear a lot about it, but I don't know anybody that's really defined it really well. So let's kind of start with the foundation today. And just how would you define for our audience critical race theory? What is it? Right. Well, there's two aspects of it. One is the academic aspect of it. And it started with critical legal studies and then critical race studies. And it is an academic discipline which sees race and racism as embedded into American society and that you cannot have uh, non-racial, non-racist sort of legal principles, that the idea of colorblindness, the idea of meritocracy is in itself racist. And you need to under look at the systems and the structures that create different impacts for different racial groups. So. Point number one is it is an academic discipline, an academic theory, and an academic area of study. But it has become more over the years, and it has essentially migrated more into the popular culture, and it deals with so-called concepts of anti-racism and equity. But the overlying theme is that race is the center of our society and that the society is systemically racist and that you need to address our problems that way. How it manifests itself in education is a different story, but that is essentially what critical race theory is. It's making race the focal point of understanding our system. You put together a website, criticalrace.org. Again, for audience, criticalrace.org. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's start with some things you said because you said a lot there. Do you believe or do you see areas within the United States of America where the, the system is racist? Well, I, I think that's uh, you have to be very precise. I don't think our system is racist. In fact, our system is anti-racist. We have laws that prohibit racism. Um, we have... Uh, traditions in the, since the civil rights movement of banning racism. So the system is not racist. That doesn't mean that there isn't racism. And so they're two very different things. I think that the concept of the American civil rights movement was that um, all Americans of every race, particularly in that context, um, black Americans need to be able to participate fully in the American system. So they did not necessarily see the system as racist. What they saw was that black Americans were not being allowed to fully participate in it. So I do not believe that our system is racist. That doesn't mean that there isn't racism. They're two very different concepts. So let's kind of explain that a little bit because, and I, I know it's no longer as prevalent as it used to be, but for example, let's go with redlining or you look at incarceration rates of black Americans versus, you know, white Americans. How, how would you explain that in the context of a racial system? Well, redlining is illegal. Uh, it has been illegal for quite some time. And I don't know that it's a continued practice. Uh, right. Again, I'm not suggesting today, but there's obviously been historical systems that have been racist within our system, correct? Right. There have been there have been particular practices that are have been racist, but that doesn't make at least since the early 1960s. And you can go back to Jim Crow and earlier and maybe make a different argument. But at least since we passed federal civil rights legislation, uh, the system has not been racist, whether we are 
properly and fully implementing those anti-racist policies is a different question. On the issue of incarceration, I wouldn't call that systemic racism. There may be particular laws and particular ways of treating offenses which have a disparate impact. Uh, so for example, one thing that's frequently pointed to is that the uh, levels of imprisonment for crack cocaine were significantly greater or more harsh than for non-crack cocaine. And, and that could be an issue. And it might be that those need to be normalized and those need to be addressed. But I, so I distinguish between a particular practice or a particular policy, which may have a disparate impact on different communities. That doesn't make us systemically racist. And you can understand those issues by changing the drug laws, for example. So I don't accept that the system, that we are systematically racist. And remember that the nature of critical race theory as it is implemented, that it is so endemic to our system that it cannot be erased by changing laws. It cannot be erased through colorblindness. It can't, it's baked into our nation's uh, being. And that's something that I don't accept. Yes, it seems like the word meritocracy is been gone now for quite some time, and I'm not quite sure why, so I'm hoping we can sort of bring that back into the conversation. And yeah, let's talk about critical race theory inside of a classroom. I know a big conversation right now is kind of the, the K through 12. You're focused predominantly on, on universities, but I know you're looking more into the K through 12. So let's hypothetically say that a critical race theory program was put into a education system here in North Dakota or Minnesota. Walk us through what that curriculum looks like and why is that good or bad for the students? Right. The likelihood that you're going to have a book in kindergarten or third grade called critical race theory is extremely remote. I mean, that is not what happens. What happens is they take the concepts of critical race theory and they maybe call it something else. They may call it anti-racism, uh, which is a very popular term. They may call it equity. They may call it socially responsive learning, but the concepts are the same, which is that the country, the nation is systemically racist, that uh, race is the center of inequities in our country, and that uh, people who have a certain skin color are either advantaged or disadvantaged because of that and have certain obligations. And so you might hear terms about white privilege. You might ha have charts on the wall of privilege uh, circles. You might have other things like that. But if your kindergarten teacher is talking about systemic racism, if your kindergarten is talking about uh, white kindergartners having white privilege, if those are the concepts being brought into the classroom, that is how critical race theory manifests itself in everyday education. So you led, led me into something I want to ask you now for a little bit, but I want to flesh out some of these other concepts is the fact I want to get your take on, I'm sure you've heard of uh, where there was some CARES Act money for farmers. And if you're a minority farmer, your loan plus 20% would be forgiven. But if you're a white farmer, they weren't doing that. Um, Secretary Vilsack, Secretary of Ag says he's going to continue to fight that and, and move that forward. I mean, is there any legal standing for them to be able to do that one and just your take on that? No, but that is a perfect example of so-called anti-racism in practice. The federal government is discriminating against white farmers um, in order to remedy what they view as past discrimination. But of course, those white farmers didn't discriminate against anybody. This, these are things that took place in the past. I don't see how it's going to be upheld. 
It violates, you know, equal protection clause of the Constitution. Uh, it probably vi violates federal civil rights law. So you cannot discriminate against people on the basis of race, except in extremely narrow circumstances, which the court found were not applicable in order to remedy past discrimination. But that's a perfect example of quote unquote anti-racism policy actually being held by a court to be racist. You've heard a lot about equality and equity. What is the distinction between equality and equity in your eyes? Sure, equality is what's required by law. It is treating each person equally without regard to race. Equity is equal outcomes. And some, but we know that people perform differently, both individually and as groups. And sometimes there will be unequal outcomes. And, to, and that is, in their view, not equitable. Well, the only way to make outcomes exactly equal for different groups is to discriminate. So that is what the federal government has tried to do. That's what is happening now in higher education. So that is the battle. The traditional constitutional concept of equal protection of the laws versus discrimination in order to achieve an equal outcome. And that is really one of the great battles of our time. And that's what we see playing out in education and elsewhere. Because now you see the Department of Education is, is saying, hey, if you want to teach critical race theory in schools, we'll give you some more federal dollars. And what's behind all this, I guess, is my question. Like, What's the purpose of having this infiltrate and permeate so many aspects of education? Well, I think there's two aspects. One, there are people who actually believe this. I mean, they believe that equal outcomes is a necessity for society. They believe that our system is has racism baked into it, is uh, irredeemably racist, and they feel the need to fight that. So uh, we can have differences of opinion and we can have differences as to what the law and the Constitution allows without necessarily ascribing uh, nefarious motives to people. I think a lot of the people behind it are actually true believers. They actually believe that. But I think there is also developed essentially an industry behind it, an industry of diversity consultants, an industry of you know, administrators in higher education and in school systems. There are a lot of people who have a financial interest in pursuing this. And I think that plays out itself. So I think that there's a disagreement as to what our society should look like in terms of equality versus equity. But there are also very strong financial interests behind having a version of critical race theory taught in elementary schools and in higher education. Taking a look here at your criticalrace.org, again, criticalrace.org website. I'm going to just click on North Dakota for our audience sake, but if people want to go there and, for example, they click on there and it says North Dakota State University, University of North Dakota, what, what are they going to, what kind of information are they going to get from going to your website? Sure. First thing that people need to understand is that the website, um, is not a list of schools to avoid. It is not a blacklist or anything <laughs> like that. It is simply gathering public information as to programs at schools. Some of the schools may not have very much that borders into critical race theory. Some may have none. So it is a resource where we research the school's website and we do a generally deep dive on the website. And that's what I think is the beauty of our map is everything is sourced, everything is linked, and probably 98% of it 
is what schools are telling themselves and are telling their students. So it's an enormous time saver for people. You could go to a particular university and spend hours going through their website trying to find it. And a major university actually has a very complex website. There may be schools that have their own websites within a university. So we do a lot of that work for you. And we tell you what they are saying. And you can click on it and you can look at it. Some schools have mandates of training. Some schools have mandates of coursework. Others have voluntary programs. And so it's a resource for prospective students and parents of prospective students to go to a particular school and find out what is happening at that school. Great stuff. Um... Professor Jacobson, thank you so much for the time and the insight. Like I said, we'd love to have you back as this conversation is, continue, is going to continue. So thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.